had times in our lives where we've uh, known about something, we've had to decide, am I going to tell or not tell? I remember pretty well uh, that fellowship meal over in the gym when Brother Mark Apple, our youth pastor, sat down in front of me and uh, we were just starting to eat and he had his dessert already on his plate. And Brother Mark sat down, and I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, he's already got his dessert. And uh, I asked him, I said, Brother Mark, you couldn't wait to get your dessert later? And Mark looked at me, and he said, my mama, Miss Vicki Apple, he said, my mama made this Heath cake. And he said, this Heath cake is outstanding, and I'm not going to let everybody else get it before I do. And so he sat there. He sat there and he began through the course of this meal to tell me over and over again how great this heath cake was that his mother had made. He was bearing witness. He was testifying to how good it was. So I went up afterwards. I remember this too. I went up and I tried it. And he was telling the truth. It was an outstanding heath cake. And it was really, really, really good. And you know what I did? I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't tell anybody. Apparently somebody did this true story because the very next fellowship meal, when I got in talking to people and got over to the gym, it was all gone when I got there. It's all gone. To tell or not to tell. The truth of the matter is you know about Jesus because somebody told you. Because somebody shared with you. Because somebody witnessed to you. Maybe it was a, a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe it was a friend on the street. Maybe it was a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather or a father. Somebody told you about Jesus. You know, whatever else the church is, and it's multifaceted, and there's a lot of things the church does. Whatever else it does, listen now, whatever else the church is and whatever else you are as a follower of Jesus, you can never be less, whatever else you are, you can never be less than a witness for him. Whatever else this church does, whatever else it accomplishes, it is never to be less than a witness for Jesus because witnessing is the calling that Jesus, the will of God for every single person, God's will is for them to testify and to tell about his son and what he has done. I ask again, if you're glad for the blood of Jesus, say amen. And it's not just here we're to testify to that. Our life, whatever else it is, can never be less than testimony and testifying to Jesus Christ. Now, we've over the last few weeks, last uh, little seven-part series we did, looking at hard sayings of Jesus. And Jesus had some really hard sayings, and he had some things that he said that were really tough and really controversial. And we looked at seven of those statements. And now we're transitioning and we're transitioning into a period of our church life on Sunday morning where we're going to look at the book of Acts and we're going to see what the disciples who'd been changed by Jesus, been changed by what he taught, been changed by his sacrifice on the cross, we're going to see what those disciples then did for Jesus. We're going to see over the next little bit nothing less than the birth of the New Testament church. That's where we're going to look. We're going to study through the book of of Acts. And you're going to see today that whatever else you are, whatever else the church is, if 
foundationally, Jesus has called us to be his witnesses. So turn to Acts chapter 1, all right? Let's dig in at the beginning, and let's dig in right here at Acts chapter 1. And let's see uh, what we need to know about the birth of the church uh, as it's being birthed. Now, this isn't technically, I guess, the, uh, the, the very moment, but this is, this is the beginning. This is, this is where a transition is happening. Jesus is going to depart, and he's going to prepare his people for the birth of a church. All right, so let's look this morning in Acts chapter 1, and let's read the first 14 verses together. All right, so it says, The former treatise, former writing that I've made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So this is Luke. Luke is continuing uh, the story that he told in his gospel. He's now going to continue it in the book of Acts. So this is, uh, if you ever, I don't know if you ever watched the movies, right? Uh, the Karate Kid, you know, there's the first Karate Kid, uh, which is which if you uh, were like me, I was born in 1979, if you were a child of the 80s, Karate Kid is just awesome, just incredible. Uh, then they made sequels, and they're all right. You know, they're okay. That first that first Karate Kid, amazing movie. The Rocky movies, right? Rocky, there's a bunch of sequels to that. Sometimes sequels aren't always as good as what come before them. Sometimes they're better. Can I tell you something? The great thing about this sequel in the book of Acts, it's just as good. All of God's Word is just as good as the rest of it. Amen? And so he says, hey, I, I'm going to continue to tell the story. Verse 2, until that day, so I've already told you about everything that's happened until the day in which he, Jesus, was taken up. And after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, gave commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he had showed himself alive. So after his death and then his resurrection, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. He, he showed a number of ways that he was Jesus, and they were certain this is Jesus. He is indeed alive. He was, it says, being seen of them 40 days. And speaking of the things pertaining, what did Jesus do in the time after his resurrection and before he ascended? What did he do? He told them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Not yet, that they shouldn't depart yet, but they should wait for the promise of the Father, which he has said, you have heard of me. Remember what Jesus said? Look at verse 5. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, with God's Spirit, the Comforter, not many days hence. He said, I want you to wait, and you're going to uh, have the Holy Spirit of God. The presence of that Spirit is going to come in, and then it'll be time to launch out into this mission. So Jesus tells them this. He's telling about the kingdom. He said, you're going to be empowered, right, to tell about this kingdom. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that does it. Uh, but I want you to wait until that occurs. Now, this is so interesting, right? Jesus keeps talking about uh, his father's kingdom, and they ask him an interesting question. Look at verse 6. Look at what it says. When they therefore were come together, they asked him. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They were limiting what was going on to what they really knew best, and that was Israel. And that's what their concern was. Lord, are you going to restore? Like, are we finally going to kick the Romans out? Are we finally going to get to have our own nation? Are we finally going to be in charge again? Are you finally going to do this? And look at what Jesus said in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. He said, No, no, no. 
It's not for you to work all that out. What are you supposed to do? Look at verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and into Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. He said, your calling is to go and to be a witness for God's kingdom unto all the earth. That is the foundational calling that is laid upon the disciples. This is God's will for their life. We're going to see through this study that it is God's will for the church in Acts. It's going to be God's will for your life and our church as well. The calling is to be witnesses for His kingdom. Now, after he laid this down, after he said, this is what you are to be doing, when he had spoken these things, which they beheld, verse 9, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, they were transfixed upon the heaven, probably like we were with the eclipse. They're staring there. Whoa, this just happened. Probably waiting to see what was going to happen next. As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, verse 11, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now the Bible is very clear. Whatever you think about uh, the book of Revelation and how you work out the end time, whatever you think, one thing is clear. That we are told when there are disasters and calamities, and when the earth groans like this, it is to be a reminder of, the, of, of that there is punishment for sin. And that one day Jesus will come again. And when you read Revelation, it's not our calling as the church. We don't take up the sword and we don't, we don't uh, bring God's wrath. That's not our calling. But you read Revelation and Jesus comes again and you get in there and he makes it clear, man. When he comes, when he comes, the king will come in power and he will come to judge. So we see these things, and it should be a reminder to us that just as he left, he is one day coming again. For those who do not believe, it will be a day of disaster. But for the believer, when we see Jesus, as the old song said, what a day it will be. So he says, hey, they say, hey, you're, you're looking into heaven. Verse 11, he says, you men of Galilee, you stand gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come, when they came, what did they do? They went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the brother of James, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And not just those disciples, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. I believe that's the last time Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned uh, in the Bible, I think. So maybe one of the Bible scholars can correct me. But I believe it's the last time. And what she's doing, she's, she's praying with all the others. They're praying. They're waiting for this Holy Spirit power that's going to empower the church to do its mission. Look at it again, verse 14. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his 
brethren. Here at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and at the beginning of the New Testament church, we see the foundational calling of the disciples as witnesses. We see within this text that they're going to be called to witness to Jesus' life and to His message and His commands, and they're also to give witness to His ascension and the promise that He would turn, return again. A, a threefold witness, His life that He lived, His message, and His ascension to heaven and His coming again. As we read through the book of Acts and we preach through the book of Acts through the next few weeks, we're going to see that time and time again, these witnesses that are called to do these three things are going to face opposition. Oh, there'll be opposition to the proclamation of Jesus' commands. Those that are in darkness will not want to hear those commands, many of them. They will oppose those commands vigorously. There will be opposition to these witnesses because they stand for the authority of another. They stand for the supreme authority of Jesus who has ascended to the right hand of the Father and the powers of this world. And the evil one who is behind so much of what happens, they will not stand for this power of Jesus. Satan has always opposed God. That has not changed. And although his power uh, is really defeated at the cross, he still wages war, waiting for history to, uh, to reach its end. And, and as Satan does this, it's clear that he motivates much of what happens and, he, and through sinful hearts that are already pliable. Already pliable. The Bible's clear that there are many that are motivated and, and moved not by God's kingdom, but by opposition to that kingdom. And so there will be many powerful people that will oppose this church. They will oppose what is happening. So there is a threefold witness that they are to do to, to this life and death and to the message, the words that he said. And then he tells them he, as they ascend, they must know that he will come again. The king is coming, but there will be opposition all throughout this book. And so as we study this book, as we read through this book together, and we see these witnesses uh, by the world's standards weak and fragile and fallible, as we're going to see, as we see all of that among these witnesses, and we see so many times you're going to see in the book of Acts how it seems that the church is on a precipice. It's about to fall off and not happen. Throughout the books we'll see, is Jesus right was he true in what he said that these witnesses would go and their calling would be to the, go to the uttermost? We're going to see so much opposition. And as we see the witnesses go and we see the opposition and we think about our calling to go and we think about the opposition to that, there's a key verse, a key verse for the book of Acts that really defines everything else that's going to happen. And that is verse 8. Look back at verse 8, a very familiar verse. Many people, and I agree with them, this is the key verse. This is the thesis statement for what is going to happen in the book of Acts. Look at, look at verse 8. You, he tells them, you shall receive power. What kind of power? Holy Ghost power. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. Not just the power of the Holy Ghost, but you're going to have the presence of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in you. That's going to come upon you. And when that happens... Whatever this world does, whatever it throws against you, whatever the enemy has in mind, when that happens, you will have the power to be witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but into Judea and into Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. If you are glad for the Holy Spirit power that is beyond every other spirit at work in this world, say amen. This is the key to the book of Acts. This must be the key to the church today. 
that is the power of God's Spirit that enables us to move forward. Oh, so many spirits at work in this world. 1 John 4, 1, Jesus, whose teachings we're supposed to pass on. John learned from Jesus. And John saw Jesus gone. John's there. He's ministering to churches. And he gets to 1 John, and he's, he's heard what Jesus said, and it's his job to pass on. And in 1 John 4, 1, John, who walked with Jesus, said this, Beloved, man, if you're glad that Jesus loves you, say amen. What a phrase, beloved. I mean, John could have written all kinds of things. But he looks at other people that Jesus saved, and he says, you are beloved. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Why? He says, don't believe every spirit. And certainly don't go falling after everybody who says, hey, I've, I've got a word from a spirit. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. Test what is being said with God's word and what Jesus taught. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have come into the world. And he goes on later in the, later in the passage and says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So many things look seductive to us. Students, listen, there's so many teachers and so many people that come and they're going to present ideas to you that, man, that looks good. And they're going to say, this is what God wants you to do. And this is God's plan for you. And this is, this is how you should act. And this is how you should behave. And some of them are going to say, man, you don't, don't, forget, forget what, forget what God's word said. That's out of date. You know the real famous phrase they use now is they say, uh, if, if people don't like what the Bible teaches in our society, a lot of times they'll say, uh, frequently they'll say, not always, which that's how the devil is. He uses a little bit of truth and mixes it with some error. A lot of times what people say, well, you can't hold on to that belief anymore because the arc of history, the arc of history is not going that direction. Sex between just a husband and a wife, the arc of history is not going in that direction. My friends, we know where history is going. It is going to the return of Jesus. So he says, test these spirits. Because many false prophets have gone out. And he said, you need to listen and you need to test it with God's word. See, that's what's so amazing about Gideon's. They have a really simple mess, simple ministry. Their whole ministry is to get the word of God to people so that Jesus can change them. And then it can help them test the spirits and the voices in their life to know, is this what God wants for me or not? And so he says in 1 John, John who knew Jesus, says test those spirits. So there are other spirits at work in this world. But my friends, there is only one Holy Spirit. Amen? Only one. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. What they are to do is to go and proclaim Jesus and his teachings and remind people that he's coming again. What does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us the power to be effective witnesses for Jesus. If the spiritual power that you are relying on or you're allowing to speak into your life is pointing you to someone else or is drawing attention to some other thing, then that is not of Jesus. What is of Jesus? That that confesses Jesus as Lord. Not just an empty statement. But if that's true, the Spirit say that Jesus is Lord, then you're going to see in that person not perfection, 
but you are going to see a life guided by that Spirit that is striving to be the Christian that Jesus calls us to be. And I ask you again, if you're thankful that it's not just your power you walk by, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit, say amen. I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful that the Holy Ghost power that was imparted to the disciples wasn't just for them. And you're going to see this in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit power that is given to disciples. And what's interesting in Acts is the Holy Spirit and how it's given in the early stage of the church is going to happen in some different ways. And you're going to see that in this book. There's going to be some different things that happen as just to make evident to people that this is the Holy Spirit of God that is empowering what has happened. In the book of Acts, it happens in a number of different ways. Because, right, there's a transition going. And this transition is from, in some ways, the old into the new. And how can we know that this is really of God? And so God is so good that another, an, 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 there are several angles in which you're going to see on which this happens. But what is really, really just, I mean, I think we've been so spoiled, a lot of us, that we have forgotten how amazing this really is. What is so great about the giving of this Holy Spirit you're going to see in the book of Acts is it's not just for those disciples, those original disciples. It's not just for men. The giving of the Spirit is for everyone that names and proclaims that Jesus is Lord and Savior of their life. Let me just ask you again, if you're glad the Holy Spirit is there with you to guide you and direct you and point you to Jesus, say amen. I mean, I guess he could have just said just the twelve. I guess he could have said just men or just women going to have this. But God in his goodness says every believer is going to have access to this. Every believer that professes him. God's spirit has said the spirit will come. Will guide that person, direct that person. So there are many false spirits. But the book of Acts, the book of Acts is not about, there are false spirits are going to show up and you're going to see the spiritual warfare. But they don't take center stage. Because the center stage of the book of Acts is the Spirit of God that is empowering these early believers in this early church to be the witnesses that Jesus has called them to be. And whether it's in uh, Judea or Samaria or Jerusalem or the other most, or whether it's today in Cookville or Baxter or Livingston or Sparta, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God that empowered them, empowers us. So when you think to yourself, there's such opposition There's such an arc that's pushing against what God is doing. What you need to understand as we listen to God's Word through this series on Acts is the same Holy Spirit that guided and directed this church and got them where they needed to be in the mission. That same Holy Spirit has been given to guide and direct us. Look at verse 13 and 14 again. Look at what it says. When they were come, they went into the upper room. And there abode both Peter and James and John. And Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the brother of James, they all continued one accord, one purpose, one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. My friends, they got in that room and they prayed. And they looked for God's direction. And they did this with one accord, not fussing and fighting, not divided against one another. With one accord, they were together listening. What is it 
that God's going to do? What is God's Spirit? That's a big deal. What is His Spirit going to empower us to do? Now, when it comes to this mission, they're going to need some prompting. Uh, What you saw in verses 9 through 12 is not the only time that the disciples are going to need some prompting to to go on and move move to the next thing God has for them. I mean, look look back at verse 9, all right? Look at it again. What happened? When he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, Hey, hey guys, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Uh, the Lord's coming back. And he just gave you a task. He just gave you a calling. So why are you staring into heaven? Go back and get ready for this Holy Spirit that's going to fall upon you to go out and do this mission. Now, no doubt, I would have been staring, right? I mean, I don't know. Trisha, what would you do if Anthony just floated up into heaven one day? You'd be scared? Frightening. And Anthony, I mean, you're kind of like me, dude. You're not a real frightening guy, all right? But if you lift up into heaven, frightening, frightening, gone to heaven. And they're standing there, and they're probably afraid, they're probably frightened, and they're probably mesmerized. And then they're told, hey, you're supposed to go back. Like, what are you looking for? This king is going to come back. Your calling isn't just to sit and stare. Your calling is to go and prepare and then go and do. So I think our attention, right? Because we have the same calling to go and be those witnesses, but our attention often gets mesmerized by things. And so, you know, here's the deal, and this is what's so great. So after the service today, when you walk out, there's going to be a couple ushers out there with, with offering plates. And, and really, believers, like, we have a couple of options. Uh, we can come to church next Wednesday, and we could say, man, Irma, that was just unbelievable. I can't believe this happened. Wow, I feel so sorry for these people. I, I feel so bad for them, and we can kind of watch which is what most of us are naturally good at, myself included. We're kind of good at watching. Or, and it doesn't have to be Gideon's, but what a better way of the day. Or we can actually do something, which when you walk out is say, instead of just talking about those people that are hurting, I'm going to do a little something to help them today. By the way, and I love this, and I've seen this, and so far as I know, it's, it's true. God has never proven himself unfaithful to anybody that was faithful to give to his cause. Amen? And so, like, we can just be watchers and we can talk. Or you can do. And some of you have skills and abilities and gifts. To be honest, you might ought to think about, should I go? Should I go for four days, five days a week? Once it kind of calms down, should I go and help? Because there are going to be people that are going to need rebuilding. I can tell you, Free Will Baptists have an organization where they go to churches. And we've got churches in Florida. Some of them will probably be damaged. We have organizations that go and to help those churches rebuild and, to get, and get going again. And usually they do ministry to the people that are around those churches. There might be somebody in this room right now that needs to go. There might be a high school student. How many weeks you get for fall break, Tucker? One or two, do you know? Two weeks. There might be a high school student that right now, instead of just watching, you're in high school, you're, you're a big kid now. I mean, you're big enough. 
Jesus, 12 years old, he's hanging out in the temple by himself. You're big enough to go to other group of believers. Maybe some of you, for those two weeks off, there might be a high school student that God lays it on your heart. You know what? The way I ought to spend my two weeks is not just lying around for two weeks. Maybe I need to get up and I need to go and I need to help these churches and help these people. Because believe me, when fall break hits, they're probably still going to need help. If you're glad that the witnesses just didn't sit, but they went, say amen. So this Holy Spirit power we're going to see in the book of Acts. It's not. The Holy Spirit is not just about watching, but it's empowering them to go, and the Spirit's going to fall. And we're going to see that. We're going to see the falling of the Spirit. We're going to see what happens, and we're going to see this church empowered to do its mission. Just the takeaway I want you to take away today. Just a big takeaway is this. It's not as we read this. Yes, this is history. But this is living history to empower you by this same Holy Spirit to be witnesses today in your world. And what's going to be neat about this study is there are going to be so many things in the book of Acts, so many oppositions that they're going to face that you're going to think to yourself, that sounds just like the world that I live in. Church, let's not be distracted any longer. Let's not just be staring any longer. Today, now is the day to know that the Lord has said He will return. We don't know the time. It's not our job to pick the day, the moment. But it is our job to go and to tell of His kingdom in every way possible to us. You say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theologian. You say, I can't do that. I'm too old now. I'm too old. I'm, I'm, I'm too old to tell anymore. I've, I've finished my race. I've finished my witness. I've finished what I can do. Too old, too young, not smart enough. Too smart for these ignorant people. Whatever your excuse may be. Here's the thing. You don't, because most people you fall in the, I don't, I don't think I'm good enough to do this. I'm kind of afraid to tell somebody. Afraid they might ask me a question I won't know. Afraid they'll confront me with something where I feel like I'm not adequate. He says there that his spirit will empower them so they will be adequate. And I've already asked you, Four or five times in the sermon, are you glad for that Spirit of God? And pretty much everybody, I mean, it was, it was good. Everybody's saying, yeah, yeah, I'm glad for that Spirit. If you're glad for that Spirit, He didn't give it to you, so you just sit in a pew and say, I'm glad for it. He gave it to you for a reason, so that you could be empowered to go and be that witness. Say, I'm not smart enough. Sort of like a Chinese farmer I heard about. True story. There's a Chinese farmer, back to the beginning of the last century, Chinese farmer there in China. There was a missionary there, early 1900s missionary, missionary doctor. And this Chinese farmer had cataracts he couldn't see. And so he went to this missionary doctor, true story. And the missionary doctor, he removed those cataracts, did whatever they do. And this farmer all of a sudden could see. He left the doctor's office. Missionary said he watched him leave. Watched just a little village there. He's doing his work. He, wa he watches the farmer leave. The farmer goes off. He's thinking, I wonder if I ever see that farmer again. I don't remember the exact amount of time, but about a week or so went by. And the missionary looked out one day, and there came the farmer. The farmer was holding a rope. He had a rope, and down the rope were other Chinese people holding on to the rope. And he was leading the rope up to the doctor's office. That Chinese farmer was uneducated. He was ignorant knew very little about Western medicine, probably knew nothing about the physiology of his eyes that had been worked on. But he knew one thing. 
one thing he knew, and that was that he was once blind, but the man in that office made it where he could see. He didn't have to know the physiology of the eye. He didn't have to understand everything about Western medicine. He didn't have to know all the procedure that went in by the doctor to accomplish it. He knew one thing. I was blind, but now I see. And he had a mouth that could go and it could tell others, I know there's a man that with your blindness, he maybe, with a, with a human doctor, maybe he can do what he did for me. We have an even better message because we don't go to people and say, I know a man when I was blind that helped me see. I know a man that when I was lost found me and saved me. We don't go to them and say, he might be able to help you. We have the power of the Holy Spirit that has empowered us to where we can say the words, I know he will save you. I know. And that is the boldness of the book of Acts. That's simply put. Say, what's the Holy Spirit about? You can boil it down to that. He empowered them to go with the authority to say, I know Jesus can save you. And over and over and over again, we see the church stumble. We see it sometimes go against what God told them to do. Sometimes you'll see them do amazing things that will inspire you. But over and over and over again, it's the Spirit of God empowering them and pushing them, compelling them to go out and to tell them the kingdom of Jesus is here and the King is coming. The kingdom of Jesus is here and the King is coming. My friend, if you are here today, you say, what's all this got to do with me? If you are here today and you have not proclaimed the name of that king and you have not trust him with salvation, he has brought you here for a single purpose, to hear the name of King Jesus and to profess and confess the saving power of his blood and his sacrifice for you. And the day of the kingdom for you is not tomorrow and not next week and not next month. The day is the day for you to confess the name of Jesus. And believer, if you have already confessed that name, your purpose here today is to be reminded again and to pray together and to support ministry together and together in one accord and one spirit to do one thing to get focused and busy for what Jesus has called us to do. So I ask you again, when you face the doctors this week, when you face the folks at school and you don't know uh, how it's going to turn out, when you have the problems in your relationships and it seems everything is going against you, when all those things are going on, when you're glad, if you're glad today when those things are going on, that there's a spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit that empowers God's people, say amen. Go. Don't have to know it all. All you got to do is go. Say, I know a man, and his name is Jesus. You stand with me this morning. As we stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, maybe today there's one that you've not confessed that name. Would you come today? Just meet us right here, and we'll tell you more about that name. We'll share with you more about Jesus. Show you from God's word how today you can become a part of his kingdom. Today, if you're a believer, if there's fear in your life, concern in your life, 
today you've come and you've been reminded of the Spirit of God that is in your life. Maybe today you need to come. Maybe there's sin. Maybe that sin is hindering you from doing what the Spirit wants. Maybe it's making you uh, not sensitive to the Spirit of God in your life. And there's sin and you know there's sin. There's specific sin. But you need to come today and you need to name. Maybe, maybe it's broader than just a sin. Maybe there's something like laziness that you just need to name. Lord, I've just been lazy. Or an addiction, whatever it is. Whatever it is right now, what I know is that the Spirit of God that empowers us also challenges and convicts us. If you need to be saved, if you need to come and plead your dependence, sometimes in our own mind we think we're in charge. If you need to come today and confess again, Lord, it is your Spirit that is to guide my life. Whatever it is as we sing, if you need to come, listen. Maybe today you need to nail down. I'm going to give or I'm going to go. I'm going to do something to help those Christians that will go in the midst of these storms. Whatever it is today, I encourage you, do it today. For His kingdom is here and the King is coming again. Brother Cecil, what number today?